Welcome to the Talks on Law California MCLE podcast. Interviews with leading attorneys, professors, and judges on important and thought-provoking legal topics. And now for the interview. In today's world, celebrity is a form of modern aristocracy with fame, power, and influence that rivals that of the ancient kings. But what happens when fame runs into another modern institution? that of the neutral court. Hello and welcome to Talks on Law. I'm your host, Joel Cohen. As we discuss high profile and celebrity crime, our guide will be Benjamin Broffman, who is a bit of a celebrity himself, having spent hundreds of hours in front of the camera defending international pop stars, famous celebrities, and important politicians. Mr. Broffman, welcome to Talks on Law. Thank you. So in today's world, there's a common understanding or conception that the more important the defendant the less likely that defendant is to face a fair trial. In your experience, what would you say? Well, I think the common misconception that people have is that if you are a celebrity, um, you get treated um, too well uh, by the criminal justice system. And I don't see that to be true at all. As a celebrity, you are sometimes singled out for more severe treatment than if you were just an ordinary citizen. Sometimes celebrities in very minor uh, mishaps end up being charged with crimes, whereas if you were a nobody, it would be cleaned up um, at the precinct. So I think being a celebrity gives you certain benefits. Um, you obviously can retain very competent people to represent you and do your investigations. On the other hand, sometimes celebrities get singled out, and it sometimes is a very bad um, form of uh, justice because it becomes uh, media justice, not necessarily court justice. Let's talk about that media. Since the O.J. Simpson trial, there's been more and more of a push in certain high-profile cases to bring cameras inside the courthouse. How has that affected the defense? I think it's a mistake. I'm, I've been against it from the very beginning. I think when you bring a camera into the courtroom while the citizenry basically sees all that's going on, it changes the dynamics, and suddenly uh, people who are not experienced in high-profile cases uh, begin to posture rather than do their job. Uh, sometimes it impacts on the quality of the work done by even the judges, as a perfect example in the O.J. Simpson case, where, you know, I think it did more harm than good to have that crime televised. It made a, uh, you know, a hero out of Johnny Cochran, and deservedly so, because he's a great lawyer. But on the other hand, you know, a, a basic murder trial that should have taken uh, four weeks ended up taking, I don't know, six, nine months, and at the end of the day, despite what appeared to be substantial evidence um, against Simpson. Uh, he was acquitted because of the injection of a race issue, which unfortunately had really nothing to do with whether he committed the crime, but became a distraction that many people say ended in a miscarriage of justice. But I think that trial did a lot to do damage uh, to the criminal justice system because people saw a trial thinking all trials are like that and no trials are like that. So there's, there's plenty of debate on the cameras inside the courthouse, but either way, there's going to be cameras outside the courthouse when you're dealing with high-profile defendants. How does a lawyer treat that? Is that part of the case itself, or is that uh, secondary? Well, you can't allow it to become part of the case. I think uh, what I've managed to, I think, develop um, in my career is a reputation for not allowing myself to be distracted by it and uh, maintaining discipline and keeping my eye on the ball and being focused. Um, if you allow the media to invade the case or dictate 
the decisions you make, uh, ultimately you're going to make bad decisions, and it could impact on the case. What I've often said uh, to celebrities in the glare of the media spotlight is that um, you may get a bad press day if you stand quiet, but if you win the case, no one's going to ever remember the bad press day. If you try and get a good press day by doing something that compromises your ability to win the case, ultimately, when you get convicted, nobody's going to remember the good press day. So sometimes you need to take it on the chin, say nothing, and ultimately prevail. When we represented Dominic Strauss-Kahn a couple of years ago, um, 2011, uh, he was the head of the International Monetary Fund, charged with assaulting a maid in a hotel in New York. Who many saw as the next president, president of, of France. France. And he would have been the next president of France, in my opinion. But we were on the cover of every newspaper in the world, and not just New York. We're talking about the world. And for three months, we made no statement um, about the facts other than to say the encounter was not forcible and therefore it wasn't a crime. The case was dismissed, and then we had a very good press day. During that entire proceeding, the lawyer for the complainant made press statement after press statement after press statement, trying really to win the case, if you will, in the world of public opinion. And ultimately, um, those turned out to be very bad press days when the charges were dismissed because the complainant was found not to be uh, credible. So I think you need to maintain your discipline and not allow the media to inject itself in a way that's detrimental to the case. It's easier said than done. You come out of a building and there are 500 press people all demanding a soundbite. Um, you have to choose your words carefully. And I guess it comes with experience where you know instinctively when to say something, when not, and what to say and what not to say. One thing that we've talked about that separates celebrity cases from the, the normal everyday criminal defense is the media. What other, what other differences are there? They're much more difficult to control. Uh, a lot depends on the celebrity, and a lot depends on the experience of the lawyer who's thrust into that position. Most really big celebrities come with their own advisors. They come with an entourage. They have um, support staff. They have media people. They have public relations people. They have handlers, if you will. And I think, you know, what I've often said to a celebrity who suddenly in the glare of a criminal prosecution is, you know, you're having a heart attack and I'm a cardiologist. These people don't do this. This is what I do. I deal with heart attacks. So you want to try and survive and live or you want to try and just listen to people who are good for you and it's business as usual, but it's no longer business as usual. I'd like to talk about some of those externalities, but first let's touch on this concept of buffers or layers. The attorney-client relationship is between just that, the attorney and the client, not the attorney and the client's chief of staff. Right. How do you manage that? There are a lot of complex issues as a case progresses where you have to involve his, his or her staff, their advisors, their public relations people. And, you know, with a public relations person, I can hire a public relations specialist under what we call a Covell agreement, which makes them an agent of the lawyer, and therefore my conversation with them is privileged to a certain extent. Um, but I keep the loop very small, and it's sort of on a need-to-know uh, basis. And there's a lot going on in the public sector involving a celebrity case where everybody knows what's happening. So you don't need to worry about violating a client confidence. But in terms of a one-on-one, -on -one, in every case, celebrity case where I've been involved, I've had what I deem to be very personal, sensitive, private conversations with my client, which I don't share and I can't share unless uh, 
he or she uh, authorizes me to do it. That, that's another aspect of the practice that seems distinct. You're dealing with people who seem to have gotten things their way for a long period of time. Most celebrities who have reached superstardom status are generally really smart. They're not just talented in one field. They generally have some real street smarts. And I think when you get down to a basic explanation of where we are at, they get it. Um, and it's a wake-up call. And I've had very little difficulty in controlling uh, celebrities during the court uh, process. Uh, on the other hand, I can't live with them and I can't work with them and I can't party with them and don't really want to. So they're not tied to my waist and sometimes the proceeding will take a year. So you develop certain ground rules and certain understandings and you hope that they uh, listen. Every once in a while there's a you know, hiccup or a glitch and you, you need to deal with it. But by and large, most celebrities if they ever are in my office, then it's something fairly serious, and they're frightened. And being frightened when you're charged with a serious crime is good, quite frankly, because it, it makes you understand the seriousness of what's at stake. And whether you're guilty or innocent, uh, the perception is that you're guilty, and the perception is that unless everything works perfectly, you're going to lose almost everything you've worked so hard to, uh, to get. And so what I see with some of the minor celebrities they get in trouble every 20 minutes. The, you know, the you know, people like Justin Bieber, people like Lindsay Lohan, they need to really get through those years and hopefully will still be alive and not in prison. And then they may have successful careers. I found that young celebrities who make a lot of money and are constantly in the public eye need to hope that they grow through those years and get through those years. And in fairness to them, it's complete turmoil to be in their world, you know, to have everybody chase you down the street, everybody try and get a picture with you. Every, it, it's, it's wearing. And after a while, every time you do something stupid, if you were a typical teenager and you did something stupid, you'd be written off as something stupid. If you're you know, a super celebrity and you're 19 and making $20 million a year, you gotta behave or deal with the consequences. And some of these young celebrities are, are now dealing with the consequences. Well, the public gets the perception that they are acting in a way where they appear to think that they're above the law. But they're not, and they don't get treated that way. You look at someone like Jay-Z, who I did represent. He grew up in the Marcy Projects and did a lot of stuff as a kid, and he was very lucky. What type of cases did you I, I represented him in, the, it's all public, so I'm not disclosing anything private. He was in a fight in a, in a venue, and he was charged with uh, stabbing someone. And we got the case resolved with a misdemeanor and no jail, and I had long conversation with him. I said, God just smiled on you. You've been given a real break. Uh, you could go on to become the most successful African-American entrepreneur in the history of the world, or maybe not. So it's, you've got that power in your hand. And to his credit, he cleaned up his act. He matured. He's done extraordinarily well. And he no longer puts himself in the position where he's got to prove his street cred or he's got to be a tough guy. And uh, he's very, very smart. He's a real success story. Fifty, uh, 50 Cent um, is the same uh, thing, you know. I, you represented I, 50 Cent? I represented him for a while, not that he was charged with anything, but he needed some guidance, and he too has come a long way, and he's disowned the need to get street bread uh, time. And, you know, Puff Daddy is a perfect example. I represented him in the trial in 2000 in New York when he was, was charged. gun charges. He was charged with the guns in a club in, in Club New York with Jennifer Lopez, and it was the trial of the decade. We had an eight-week trial. He was acquitted of all counts. 
and um, he was facing 10, 15 years in prison. But, you know, Puffy was acquitted, and he's gone on uh, to also become a superstar and no more legal trouble, and you don't read about him as being involved in, in uh, criminal justice matters. They've grown up. They've matured. They recognize how much talent they have, how much potential they have, and it's, uh, you know, I, I get a lot of uh, joy from watching their careers blossom and think I had something to do with them being able to become so successful. Let's talk about some of the, the different issues that are unique to a celebrity's life. There are issues surrounding celebrity prosecutions that are unique to celebrities. Um, are you going to lose lucrative endorsement deals? Some endorsement products, some endorsement sponsors are so family-oriented that you could win and still lose a fortune in, in, in career incentives. Um, do you have a morals clause in your contract with a recording studio or a movie studio that allows them to essentially cancel your contract when you are arrested, even if you're ultimately exonerated? Even if you're exonerated, does the morals clause permit them to go to the underlying facts and say, well, you know, you didn't get convicted because maybe you had a good lawyer or maybe it wasn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt, but we don't want you on our label or we don't want you, you know, hawking our products. Those are issues celebrities deal with all the time, and some of them are, are quite significant. So that would apply probably across the board of celebrities. What about when you're dealing specifically with athletes? There you have almost a third party in the process, which is the league or right. the team. Well, one of the, you know, the most difficult cases I've ever dealt with, and to me still a miscarriage of justice at the end, was the case of Plexigo Burris, who was a superstar in the New York Giants Super Bowl championship team. He made the winning touchdown uh, catch in the Super Bowl. Um, and had he not made that catch, I think he may have been treated differently. But because he won the Super Bowl, uh, he was catapulted into a celebrity status that few professional athletes had. And then he uh, was carrying a, a weapon which was not legally uh, registered in New York. The weapon fell and discharged and he shot himself. No one else was hurt. And yet it happened, you know, a couple of days after Mayor Bloomberg in New York um, introduced the new gun law, which made carrying a weapon illegally in New York a mandatory prison sentence. Um, he ended up doing two years in prison, uh, lost his uh, job, ultimately derailed his career. Robert Morgenthau, who was the district attorney at the time, would not, would not, uh, was not flexible at all. It took me eight months to get a two-year plea agreement where the minimum statute called for a three-and-a-half-year sentence. But if he were not Plexico Barris, and I've had many cases where the weapon is not used in a crime, where the only person injured is you, and it's registered in another state, so it's not an illegal weapon, um, except in New York, where those cases end up with either no jail sentence or a six-month jail sentence. Plexico did an extra year and a half in my judgment uh, just because he was a, a superstar. So that's an um, example where being a celebrity has backfired. It backfired, but, to, you know, to... Um, it's credit, the NFL under Roger Goodell, I think, was the only body um, that we dealt with who treated him fairly, because what they agreed to do, since he was getting such a harsh punishment, was they agreed to allow his period of suspension run concurrently with his prison term, so the minute he got out of jail, he was eligible to play again. In the case of Michael Vick, who was a football player who was convicted in the federal court of running an illegal dogfighting ring, his period of suspension, or at least part of it, began to run when he was released from prison. So there was an add-on uh, to the punishment. So 
The NFL is very strict. This year I lectured to the New York Giants whole team on, you know, the dangers of being a successful athlete. Uh, the, be careful of the liquor, be careful of driving when you're not supposed to, be careful of women who, you know, hit on you in the bar who have their own agenda, be careful of uh, being uh, scammed into investments because they know you're an athlete with a lot of money, but maybe you have no business expense. And, you know, the team thought it was important to, to at least make the players wary of the pitfalls out there for someone who's a celebrity and particularly an athlete because, you know, athletes are very attractive. Uh, in, in that people want to be around them, both men and women. You mentioned how these cases can be in incredibly long, even before charges are brought to the final verdict. The prosecution has a great deal of power during this period. How do you work with your client to avoid uh, unnecessary loss in the buildup? Well, the client has to deal with not only the, the power on the other side, and it's an awesome power, because in federal court you're the United States of America against... John Doe, and in state court, you're the people of the state of New York against John Doe, and it's frightening when you even hear that. It's the whole state, the whole country against this uh, individual, and they have awesome resources, and they have unlimited resources, and when they need more resources, they have more resources. Even superstar celebrities cannot compete on the level of resources on the other side, because it's a, generally a government that has the deepest pocket. Nobody cares about how much they spend. And some people handle it better than others, and some people, uh, the immature ones, have tantrums, and, and, and sometimes, you know, you need to take the abuse because they expect you to fix this. I don't want to listen to this. And sometimes they got companies opening and uh, companies going public and uh, albums dropping and movies coming out, and, and suddenly their life has turned into complete chaos. And very often, it's about something that happened, like, in a minute. It's not something they planned. It's, you know, something sometimes stupid, sometimes their fault, sometimes not their fault. But, you know, try and explain to the average person that because of that 90 seconds of, you know, bad judgment, everything you've worked for your whole life is now in jeopardy. It's a lot to swallow. I also tell you, you know, that many celebrities do not have a great deal of formal education. They come into the world and they don't always take education seriously whether it's an athlete or a performer, and now they're introduced to a very complex technical world with rules of law that make no sense to a person without legal training. So you need to be able to explain this to someone who you know, left during high school and now has $100 million but has trouble you know, reading. Is there a cautionary example that you sometimes give when you, you know, sit down with the Giants or sit down with some other... Uh, people who may fall into that category? Well, the, the, the cautionary example I give, you know, across the board to people who've suddenly been injected into the celebrity world is you can't, you know, get carried away with this stuff. You know, the fact that you can walk into a bar and every single woman in the place throws herself at you doesn't mean that you should not be careful who you're dealing with because there are in every city, you know, a handful of con men and con women and predators who are out there looking to take advantage of a celebrity because very often they have uh, uh, big egos, they have a lot of money, and they have little experience in dealing with the real world. They go from being, you know, on a pedestal in high school um, as an athlete and then on a college level and you're a superhero 
and then now you're in the professional world. The league is very good. The league recognizes it. And the NFL and the individual teams go through sensitivity training. They go through training with the players in terms of uh, social issues and legal issues. And it's going to happen more and more because so many athletes uh, you know, get in trouble. Sometimes you get you know, arrested for driving while intoxicated. You may be suspended from playing. That's your job. You know, playing is your job. And you know, it's not a game to a professional. That's what they do for a living. They also have a small window of when they can be successful and hopefully not injured. And so it can be all be gone in a second. And it doesn't mean they should live in fear, but they need to be aware. Maybe a lot more temptation or ability to put yourself in dangerous positions as well. And it's also always having to behave. You know, I, I'm not by any means a celebrity level with the clients I represent and don't ever... Uh, think I will get there and I don't want to want to get there. But you know, a lot of my high profile cases have made me recognizable uh, to people and people say hello to me and stop me and say something, you know, nice or obnoxious because they feel they can. It's good and it's bad. You know, it's nice to be recognized for good work. But you know, a lot of the newscasters I deal with, a lot of the recognizable people will tell you that sometimes they would just like to be anonymous. There's anonymity. And then there's also safety. Do you find that some of your cases representing whether it's high-profile athletes or, or criminals may put you in danger? Sometimes, but I'm, you know, I can't live like that. I've never really felt uh, extreme personal danger. Were there moments when it was uncomfortable? Yeah. And you know, to the extent that you're also in the eye of a growing crowd that's trying to get to the person you represent. And you know, as a smart, rational human being, you recognize how completely out of control. Did you ever need police protection? We've had, we had police protection during the, some of the trials when there was a war on, at least on people's mind, involving the East Coast, West Coast rap uh, uh, personalities when people were being threatened every day. There was, there was protection in the courtroom, to the courtroom. But you know, when you start representing people in different fields, some celebrities are liked, some are not, some superstars. Some professional athletes are hated. You know, New York Yankee in, in uh, Boston has probably a better chance of being you know, beaten up than the person walking in one of the worst areas in uh, Manhattan. So you take precautions. I was briefly involved in representing Michael Jackson, and that was you know, um, only for a couple of months. It was impossible to control that case from New York, because the case was going on in, in uh, Los Angeles and, uh, and you know, going back and forth to California. Twice related to, to the child indecent. molestation charges shortly before his death. But that was, you know, that was on, on a different level, and it was almost like being on another planet. I mean, the Michael Jackson fans that descended on, on uh, that case and on that city during that time were, you know, all basically 14, 15-year-olds, many from different countries who essentially came to the United States uh, to watch him. And, you know, he's one of the most gifted uh, singers in the history of the world and some of his fans were you know I think crazed and you know many would follow me to where I was staying and would shriek if they saw me because I was at the time Michael's lawyer and it was a little bit unnerving because many of them are completely out of control um, and you know that famous scene of him jumping on top of the car outside the courthouse in Santa Barbara on the day of his arraignment you know, what was happening actually, which I think no one has ever you know, really discussed, was we came out of the courthouse and the, 
the Santa Barbara police was holding back the crowds of fans with uh, um, temporary fencing that had been put in just that day. And the crowd was straining against them, and the, fe and the fences were going to come down. And they wanted Putting to them in danger, perhaps. Well, putting everyone in danger. Yeah. That, those fences come down, and it's, you know, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people screaming at the top of my lungs. So Jackson, who was extremely agile, like you, know, you see on some of his videos, actually jumped on top of the car so they could see him. And the minute he did that and started to dance, uh, the people went back and the fences eased up because they could physically see him. And then we put him in the car and got him out of there. He was criticized for not taking the proceeding seriously and turning it into a circus. The reality was it was a way of coping with the complete uh, dangerous craziness. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, although part of me would have loved to stay in the case and see it through, because based on the evidence I saw, I knew it was a guaranteed acquittal. It was just as well that, you know, Mark Garagos and I um, ended up leaving in where he placed because it was chaos on a level that, you know, I just don't need in my life. I can't imagine. You can't imagine. <laughs> no, you say that. You can't imagine. I, I couldn't imagine. Just um, constant you know, screaming. People would follow me from the airport to my hotel, from the hotel uh, to the uh, courthouse. There were one night where um, the concierge told me there were like six um, young uh, girls from uh, Japan and Poland who had slept in the driveway all night. And we came out that morning. In the driveway of? Of the hotel. Of your hotel. Yeah, and then when we came out you know, the, the next morning to go to court, you know, one of them, she couldn't have been more than 14, came running up to me. And, you know, you don't know whether the person's going to shoot you or stab you. She came running up to me and, and said, are you Michael's lawyer? And, you know, someone in the crowd said, yes. She says, I need to touch you. And, she, you know, she put her hand on my shoulder, and then she fainted. And I'm saying, I, this, is, this, is not, you know, this is not what I bargained for. I'm out of here. And now it's time for the MCLE code. Uh, for those who are listening for credit in California, the code for this interview with Ben Brofman is 32315. Again, it's 32315. And now back to the interview. We've talked a good bit about uh, celebrities as criminal defendants, but let's touch a little bit on criminal defendants who during the course of trial become celebrities. I'm thinking of uh, Casey Anthony. You know, the Casey Anthony and the George Zimmermans and the, the people who suddenly the world becomes fixated, not on them, but on their trial. And some of them handled it better than others. I thought, you know, George Zimmerman for the course of the trial, I think he um, handled himself very well. I think he had a very good lawyer who had him under control and you didn't see him um, acting inappropriately, at least not to my recollection. Um, and then you have, you know, um, Casey Anthony who I thought just looked inappropriate at different times of the trial. Now, is that because she was attractive and tried to be coy and play to the camera? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't see those as celebrity uh, cases. It's unfortunate that we become fixated on those crimes because what the person is charged with doing is to many people offensive and um, maybe important uh, and it's, you know, a whole world of people who are shut-ins and stay at home. To them, it's theater. And so it's, it's trial as entertainment. It's trial as entertainment. And trial shouldn't be entertainment. Trial is serious uh, stuff. And, you know, people get caught up in it. It's like people who, you know, today will go on binges and watch, uh, you know, whole seasons of uh, 
of 24 hours or, you know, house of cards and not leave the house. Now you're talking about me. Well, now <laughs> nay, not leaving a house until it's over. They get caught up in these trials and they need to, it's like junkies. They need their daily fix. And if it's interesting when you talk to the people at CNN, the Fox News, at you know, MSNBC, when there is a major trial that's being covered, their ratings are much higher than when there is nothing. These people need crisis and, and unfortunate developments. It's just a sad reality. Powerful news is often bad news. Powerful news is very often bad news, but sadness and controversy and war um, sells and scandal sells. Scandal sells. It always has. You know, uh, the New York Post, the Daily News, even the New York Times is much happier when there is a juicy trial going on that's scandalous in some respect. And if you have scandal and celebrity, wow, it's like, you know, perfect storm. We've covered a lot of interesting areas and, you know, I appreciate the, you know, the questioning and the, and the thought given to the interview. I think the, you know, the one thing I would like to, to say that people really, I think, don't um, fully understand is that, you know, even the celebrity um, needs to be presumed innocent and uh, wait until all of the facts are, are out. And in many celebrity cases, they start out with great fanfare and they ultimately fizzle. Um, and in many of the cases where, despite dire predictions by the, by the press um, as to the doom of the outcome, you know, we've managed to walk away with the celebrity looking uh, pretty good. Now, uh, is it because you had a lawyer that uh, knew what they were doing? Maybe in part, I'd like to take part credit, obviously, for dealing with the media effectively. But by and large, I think people need to understand that contrary to popular belief, Celebrities don't get treated um, extra fairly by the criminal justice system, and sometimes celebrities get prosecuted in marginal cases. And as a consequence, if you keep your eye on the focus and your discipline, the result that you get, if it's successful, is the result that is appropriate under the circumstances. Not that they, they you know, snatched you know, victory from the jaws of defeat. This was something that maybe they should have never been prosecuted for to begin with. So just trying to balance and level the playing field just a little bit. Well, I thank you for walking us through this uh, really fascinating topic. Um, I hope that I never have to call on your services, although I, I doubt Me I could too. afford Me them. Too. <laughs> but thanks again, and, and thank you for watching Talks on Law. For more legal explainers and interviews with the titans of law, visit TalksOnLaw.com. If you're earning MCLE for this interview, you can enter your confirmation code at TalksOnLaw.com slash MCLE podcast to get your certificate. Join us again soon for more cutting edge interviews on the California MCLE podcast.